What does home mean to you? Is it just a place where you sleep, where you keep all your stuff? Or is it a part of who you are? Maybe it's a cage. What if you found yourself alone and far from home? What if you could never find your way back again? What if all you could find was another cage? The Mist. The Death Knight tightened his grip on the ghost's throat once more. Caradoc squirmed and clutched at Soth's mailed hand, but the fingers dug slowly, painfully into him. Soon enough, the Seneschal found he could not speak. Then he heard a high ringing in his ears. Soth's voice broke into his consciousness. After I destroy this form, your soul will return to the Lord of the Undead. He will jail you in the void he reserves for ghosts that are no more, the Death Knight said. Caradoc's vision faded for a moment. Then mist rose to block his view of Dargard's throne room. He heard the banshees screaming from a place very far away. Only Soth's voice remained clarion. Perhaps Chemosh will resurrect you once again, traitor, but this time is something more mindless, rather like Sir Michael and the other knights who are condemned to serve me. A loud snap sounded from Caradoc's neck, his head lolled to one side, unsupported by his broken spine. Yet even that did not end the Seneschal's life, so the Death Knight continued to exert pressure. Or you may end up as a Mane, caught in the army of some monstrous general. I think, abruptly, the Death Knight stopped speaking, his grip faltering. Around him, a bank of mist had risen high off the floor, obscuring the throne room, muffling the shrieks and taunts of the Banshees. Is this some kind of trick, Caradoc? Swirling mist closed in on the Death Knight and his Seneschal. The ivory fog swelled in every corner of Dargard's throne room, permeated every stone. The wailing of the Banshees faded in Soth's ears and then stopped. The mist streamed out of the hall's shattered door into the night as if it had been summoned away. It flowed like water over the cracked stone of the floor, around the charred, worm-eaten throne that was the hall's only furniture, past the still form of Kidiara Uthmitar, and beneath the thirteen banshees hovering near the ceiling. One of the unquiet spirits cried out in astonishment, pointing to the spot where Soth had been standing but a moment earlier. The Death Knight and the Ghost were gone. Hello, and welcome to D&D Book Club. My name is Megan, and today we will be discussing the second novel in the Ravenloft series, Night of the Black Rose by James Lauder, published in 1991 by TSR Incorporated. I'm super excited for today's episode for a number of reasons. First of all, the fifth edition campaign setting for Ravenloft was just released. It's called Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, and I highly recommend you check it out. I'll be reviewing it on the podcast soon as part of an effort to expand the show's horizons. Beyond that, I'm excited because, as you know if you've listened to this podcast before, I love Lord Soth, and Night of the Black Rose was the first Ravenloft novel I ever read. 
I came into Dungeons and Dragons through Dragonlance, set in the world of Kryn, which is, of course, Lord Soth's homeworld. But when I found out that Lord Soth had his own spin-off novel in a new dark fantasy setting, I was desperate to read it. That excitement was due in no small part to the fantastic cover art by Clyde Caldwell, showing Soth wearing a white shirt, purple tunic, cape, and scarf, armed with an enormous claymore, his fiery eyes blazing from under his iconic helm. To this day, it remains one of my favorite depictions of Lord Soth, and I highly recommend you Google it. If you listened to the last episode, featuring the novel simply titled Lord Soth by Ado Van Belcombe, or to the episode before that, Vampire of the Mists by Christy Golden, you might have a little more insight going into this episode than you would without listening, but I think you'll be able to follow along just as well. Of course, I always encourage you to read the novels first, especially if you don't want to hear any spoilers. All the novels I've mentioned are easy to find used online, or on Kindle, or even Audible. The next novel I'll be featuring on this podcast is Spectre of the Black Rose, also by James Lauder, so be sure to pick up a copy if you want to read along with the show. When we last left Lord Soth, at the end of Lord Soth, the Cataclysm had just struck the continent of Ancelon. Soth had been given the power to avert the Cataclysm, but had been led astray by pride and by jealousy. As a result, Soth, his wife Assault, and his infant son Peridor, and Soth's thirteen most loyal knights had all perished. During the conflagration, Isold cursed Soth to live forever as a spirit trapped in the shell of the great knight he had once been. Soth had died in the flames, but had risen again, along with his warriors, some banshees, and his steward, Caradoc. More on him later. His armor burned black in the fire. The former Knight of the Rose became the Knight of the Black Rose, a death knight. As an undead, he would never grow old and never die. He would never need to eat or sleep or breathe or scratch his nose or make sweet, sweet love again. I imagine being undead is kind of like having an itch you can never scratch or being desperately tired but unable to rest. Or just plain horny, but no one is into you because you're a gross monster who smells like burnt hair. But being an undead isn't all bad. He has a demonic horse which he can summon at will like in video games. He has powerful magic, including the fireball spell, wall of ice, and even power word kill. He can teleport using shadows as a conduit. Why is it in novels and movies that people who are cursed always end up with cool superpowers? Doesn't that kind of defeat the point of cursing them? Wouldn't Soth be even more miserable, not to mention a whole lot less dangerous, if he hadn't risen from the ashes with ninth level spells? I guess it's not my place to question the will of the gods, though. That's how you get a fiery mountain dropped on your head. What Soth is up to during the three and a half centuries between the Cataclysm and the War of the Lance is unclear. Presumably, he's just moping around his tower at Dargard Keep, feeling bad for himself and making his underlings' afterlives miserable. Yet he must have been doing something to earn his frightening reputation and cool nickname. I suppose he must have been a Dracula-like figure, skulking in his castle, frightening the local villagers. More of a presence than an active participant in the world. Soth's story picks up again when he meets Dragon High Lord Kitiara Uthmitar in the novel Dragons of the High Lord Skies, and becomes her right-hand man during the events of the Chronicles and Legends trilogies. But he ultimately develops an obsession with Kitiara, and Soth, Ever the ladies' man, decides to arrange her death and resurrect her as his accursed undead companion, to live in his dirty, vermin-infested castle and listen to him talk about the good old days for all eternity. 
That's where Soth's story in Dragonlance ends, with Kittyara dead and Soth in possession of her corpse, ready to work his necro-romantic magic on her. But what happens next? Does his plan succeed? Does everything work out for the man for whom nothing has gone right in 400 years? That's what we're about to find out. If you enjoy this episode and you want to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash dndbookclub. That's D-A-N-D-D book club and become a subscriber for a mere $5 a month. There'll be a link in the show notes. Your support is greatly appreciated. You can also follow me on Instagram at dndbookclub or email me at dndbookclub at gmail.com. Now, without any further delay, let's step through the misty border and into Night of the Black Rose. The novel begins with a short prologue recounting the events of Soth's life, death, and transformation. Then we jump forward to a time and place we've already been, the city of Palanthus, during the attack launched by dragon highlord Kitiara and the remnants of the dragon armies. This is the climax of the Dragonlance Legends trilogy in Test of the Twins by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. In Test of the Twins, we witness these events through the eyes of Tanisaf Elvin, Caramon Magier, and Tasselhoff Burfoot. In Night of the Black Rose, we witness them through Lord Soth's. Soth approaches the city riding his demonic horse, demands surrender from the mayor, which is promptly refused, and then begins to assault the city. The Death Knight is accompanied by his skeletal warriors as well as the Banshees who are condemned to serve him for their role in his downfall. This part of the city is defended by Knights of Salamnia, a brotherhood Soth himself long ago abandoned. The Knights are led by Tannis Halfalvin, who is made an honorary knight and given a position of command. Tannis and Soth have serious beef. Tannis was essentially able to win the War of the Lance by obtaining the crown of power at the end of Dragons of Spring Dawning, thwarting Lord Soth's attempts to attain it for Kitiara. Soth hasn't forgotten that defeat. In fact, Soth blames Tannis for a lot of Kitiara's failures, seeing her soft spot for him as her only vulnerability. Soth is also disgusted that the Knights of Salamnia would let a half-elf wear their armor, since the Knights have hitherto been a segregationist institution that only allowed humans to join. In Test of the Twins, this confrontation between Tannis and Soth has a lot more context. Tasselhoff has just come back from the future and knows Tannis will die if he faces Lord Soth, so he forces Tannis to flee the fight by stealing Tannis's magical bracelet of protection, leaving him totally defenseless against Soth's magic. Soth, unaware of any of this context, just sees Tannis running away like a coward. He is disgusted all over again by this behavior, and it only strengthens the contempt he feels towards him. Soth presses on. He and his minions slaughter the city's defenders as he makes a beeline towards the Tower of High Sorcery. He is able to pass easily through the Shoikin Grove, the cursed ring of trees protecting the tower with an impenetrable fear spell to which Soth is immune. By the time he makes it to the top of the tower, to the laboratory of the Archmage Raislin Majir, Kitiara is already dead, killed by Raislin's apprentice, the Dark Elf Dalimar, as Soth had intended. Tannis Half-Elven is there as well, and makes a perfunctory attempt to prevent Soth from taking Kitiara's corpse, but ultimately there is nothing he can do. Soth could kill Tannis right here and now, but decides to let him live with the shame of his failure. 
Having achieved his goal, Soth vanishes through the shadows. There is a second half to Soth's plan. He has Kidiar's corpse, but he needs her soul as well to complete his ritual. To accomplish this, he has sent his steward, a ghost named Caradoc, into the abyss to retrieve it upon her death. Soth knows that the dark goddess Dekesis will be distracted by her battle with Race and Majir and won't notice one little ghost sneaking in to steal the soul of the queen's favorite general. Caradoc is successful in finding Kidiara's soul and imprisoning it within a magical medallion before returning to the material plane. But he is a sneaky ghost. He has made an arrangement with Soth that, if Caradoc is successful in retrieving Kidiara's soul, Soth will petition Chemosh, the god of the undead, to either make Caradoc mortal or else to just let him die. And he has plans to make sure Soth honors his end of the bargain. A word about Caradoc. As far as I'm aware, Night of the Black Rose is the first novel in which Caradoc appears. He was, in life, the seneschal of Dargard Keep and Soth's personal fixer. His loyalty to Soth, as well as his own evil deeds, meant he joined his lord in undeath as a ghost. He is described as vain and obsessed with his appearance, both in life and in death. Now, this depiction of Caradoc varies drastically from the novel Lord Soth, in which Caradoc in life is a junior knight as well as a steward, and presumably becomes one of Soth's 13 skeletal warriors upon death. I'll talk more about this contradiction later in the episode. Soth returns to Dargard Keep with Kitiara's corpse, and Caradoc returns with her soul. But Caradoc has a trick up his phantasmal sleeve. He hides the medallion in the keep, but tells Soth he has given it to a demon lord in the abyss for safekeeping. If Soth keeps his end of the bargain and helps Caradoc regain his mortality, Caradoc will tell him where to find it. In response to Caradoc's proposal, Soth grabs the ghost by the neck, threatening to kill him again and send him to the really bad place. Soth is so caught up in his rage that he doesn't even notice strange mist beginning to form within the keep. Soth breaks Caradoc's neck as easily as he might break a mortal man's. Caradoc, being dead already, doesn't die but just floats there looking sideways at the world. The mists grow thicker. At last, Soth notices, but too late to do anything. Soth and Caradoc are enveloped within the mist and taken to a white void. At last, the two emerge in an unfamiliar land beneath an unfamiliar night sky. At first, Soth thinks this must be the abyss and that he's been transported here by Caradoc's demon ally. Caradoc, knowing there is no such demon, has no idea where they are, but he keeps his knowledge secret, or his lack of knowledge, I guess. From the trees, a pack of wolves approaches, then a squad of zombies speaking an unfamiliar word, Strahd. As the zombies attack, the wolves observe. Lord Soth's ability to command weaker undead fails him, and he defends himself with his sword. The zombies are easily dispatched, or so Soth thinks, but then the severed pieces of zombie resume their attack. Soth is forced to use his fire magic to destroy them permanently. In the excitement, Caradoc disappears. Soth realizes that someone must have sent the zombies as a kind of test, the same someone who controls the wolves presumably this strawed person, whoever he is. Soth follows the wolves as they lead him to their master. Along the way, Soth comes across a Vistani camp. 
If you'll recall, the Vistani are a problematic analog to real-world Romani peoples, depicted like Hollywood stereotypes of fortune tellers, thieves, and mystics. Soth watches from the shadows as the humans do normal human things and decides that he probably isn't in the abyss after all. Soth approaches at last and meets Madame Girani, the leader of this particular tribe. She orders her grandson Andari to play the violin while his sister, Magda, a dancer and storyteller, performs the tale of Kolchek the Wanderer, an ancestor who has become a Vistani folk hero. After the show, Madame Garani invites Soth into her wagon. He tells her the story of his doom and how he came to be in this land. She informs him that this land is called Barovia, and that Count Strahd von Zarevich rules from Castle Ravenloft, although she insists that Strahd does not control the mists and is not responsible for Soth's presence here. Soth presses her for more information, but Madame Garani is only allowed to reveal so much about Strahd. In a rage, Soth lets loose the old crone's weird monkey bird from its cage, and it attacks her. Soth sets the wagon on fire and kills any Vistana who attack him. Soth seizes Magda the storyteller and forces her to become his guide. Soth drives Magda through the dense forest of Barovia towards Castle Ravenloft, neglecting the fact that mortal humans need such things as water and sleep. Magda is terrified of Soth, but equally terrified of Strahd. Ultimately, she has no choice but to do as she's commanded. Along the way, the two encounter a group of villagers preparing to hang a dwarf. Seeing no reason to get involved, Soth proceeds onward. They don't make it far, however, before they hear the sound of screams. One of the members of the lynch mob stumbles upon Soth and Magda as he's fleeing whatever's happening. The man is dressed in the red robes of a priest, and he seems to recognize Lord Soth before continuing his frantic flight. Soth decides to investigate. He finds the blood-spattered but oddly nonplussed dwarf sitting among the mutilated corpses of those who meant to execute him. The dwarf doesn't fear Soth. In fact, it seems the only thing the dwarf fears is Strahd, and he assumes that Magda, a Vistana, must be one of Strahd's spies. Moments later, a black carriage without a driver appears. Recognizing this as the private carriage of the Count, the dwarf flees. Soth and Magda climb into the carriage and continue their journey. Up in Castle Ravenloft, Strahd awaits his guests. The magical properties of the carriage allow him to view the thoughts of whomever is riding within, even Soth's. Strahd perceives a man lacking almost all emotion, except for the occasional quote-unquote wave of seething hatred and impotent lust, poor Magda being stuck in the carriage with him. Strahd also sees into Soth's memory and witnesses, from Soth's own perspective, the trial and near execution of the mortal Lord Soth hundreds of years ago. The pair at last reaches Strahd's Castle of Horrors. Once inside, Strahd introduces himself and gives Magda some clean clothes. He reiterates to Soth what Madame Garani had told him, that he is not in control of the mists that brought Soth to Barovia. He also tells Soth that Caradoc came to Castle Ravenloft and attempted to enter, but was destroyed by the arcane wards which protect it. This, however, is a lie. Caradoc is alive and well. I mean, as alive and well as a ghost with a broken neck can be. He has sworn himself to Strahd's service in exchange for protection against Soth. And Caradoc isn't the only person in Strahd's service. During a moment alone with Magda, Strahd commands her to act as Soth's guide, but also as his own eyes and ears. 
When the vampire rejoins the Death Knight, he introduces Soth to Ambassador Pardat from the neighboring domain of Gundarak. Pardat is being tortured as part of a diplomatic game between Strahd and Duke Gundar, who is also a vampire. Strahd also introduces Soth to his personal seer, a blind and deaf man who scribbles a prophecy involving a child and a general with a crooked smile. Strahd assumes the child mentioned must be Duke Gundar's insane, magic-using son, who has been cursed to live forever as a child. Soth knows that the general with the crooked smile can only be Kidiara. From Strahd, Soth learns that a group of wanderers from Soth's homeworld showed up in Barovia a few decades ago, and that one was a priest of Gilead, god of neutrality. But, Strahd informs Soth, the gods of Kryn have no power here. In Barovia, Strahd is the only god, and Soth must serve him. Naturally, this doesn't sit well with Lord Soth. While Strahd is sleeping in his coffin, Soth tries to get what information he can out of the tormented ambassador, but ultimately kills him without learning anything useful. He also kills the humans Strahd keeps locked up in his dungeon as chattel. He even kills a young red dragon that Strahd keeps to guard the entrance to his castle while he sleeps, although Soth is injured in the process. Together with Magda, Soth escapes Castle Ravenloft. The two go in search of the Cleric of Gillian and find him at an inn called the Blood on the Vine, drinking with the locals. Magda recognizes him. He was the same red-robed man they saw fleeing the failed hanging of the dwarf. That's why the man recognized Lord Soth. He knows the stories of the Knight of the Black Rose. Upon interrogating him, Soth learns that the Cleric and his companions were taken into Barovia through the mists as he was. Soth also learns that the cleric and his companions discovered a portal which might lead back to Kryn, but all of them except the cleric were killed by a monstrous guardian called the Watcher. To Magda, the story of the portal and the Watcher sounds eerily familiar to a story about the Vistani hero Kolchak the Wanderer. Soth decides they will seek out this portal. As the Death Knight and the Vistana are traveling to the place where the doorway to the tunnel that leads to the portal which connects to Kryn is supposedly located, they are followed by wolves, spies of Count Strahd. But something else is following them as well, as ascertained by the mutilated wolf corpses they find. Soth lays a trap for their pursuer, and the creature following them turns out to be an enormous, monstrous badger. And that enormous, monstrous badger happens to be the same dwarf they encountered earlier. The dwarf is named Azrael, and he is a were-badger. He came to the Land of the Mists after being exiled from his homeland for basically being a serial killer. That's understandable. Azrael hates Strahd, and he hates Vistani. He hates pretty much everything. But he senses that Lord Soth is a man on the rise and volunteers to enter his service. Together, the trio finds the doorway they're searching for. At the end of the tunnel, they come upon a ruined chamber filled with countless bones. Poking around, Magda finds a cudgel she believes must have belonged to Kolchak himself. Suddenly, the creature that the Red Priest called the Watcher appears. It's a blobby mass of eyes, mouths, and tentacles which speaks to them in strange, discordant voices. These voices infiltrate and influence the minds of the three travelers. Azrael finds himself reliving his banishment from his homeland. Magda imagines herself as Kolchak himself in one of her stories. Soth is taken back to his memories as a mortal man, when he once heroically faced down a tribe of murderous goblins, but the memories he experiences are twisted and wrong. 
Soth is able to use his magic to disrupt the creature's psychic attack, and the three begin to assault the Watcher. Finally, Soth rips out its vital organs, and the monster dies. With the Watcher dead, a hidden door appears, revealing a portal. It's not a portal to Kryn, however. It's a portal leading down into the abyss. At that moment, Count Strahd appears. He knew all about this place, but decided to allow Soth to run his fool's errand anyway. He is angry with Soth for killing his pets, and angry with Magda for refusing to act as his spy, but he decides to parlay with the Death Knight and his companions instead of taking revenge. Soth and Strahd come to an understanding. The vampire tells the Death Knight that he knows of another portal which might lead to Kryn, located in the castle of the Duke of Gundarak. The portal was created when the Duke's son Madro murdered his own sister, and only the blood of that family can open it again. Strahd asks, not orders, Soth to travel to Gundarak and kill the Duke's immortal magic-using son, thus eliminating one of Strahd's enemies. Soth can then use the man-child's blood to reopen the portal and see where it takes him. As a token of their new alliance, Strahd uses his necromancy to heal Soth's injured arm and even gives him 13 skeletal warriors, just like his buddies back on Kryn. Strahd also gives Soth a warning. Soth can pass between the mists, connecting the domains of the realm, but if he wanders beyond the outer borders of Gundarak, he may find himself trapped in his own domain, just like Count Strahd and Duke Gundar. Lord Soth and friends travel beyond Barovia through the mists and into Gundarak. Barovia is dangerous, of course, but Gundarak is an especially violent and cruel sort of dangerous. The road to Castle Hunadora, the Duke's residence, is decorated with hanging corpses. Some just dangle harmlessly. Others viciously attack anyone who comes near. Also, the longer the skeletal warriors remain beyond the reach of Strahd's magic, the less cooperative they become. Near the castle, the group stops for the night and are attacked by a pair of giants. Soth, Azrael, and the skeletons manage to defeat them. In the heat of battle, Magda escapes. Soth decides not to pursue her. Soth and Azrael eventually reach Castle Hanadora. Soth is able to use his magic to teleport himself and the Werebadger dwarf across the moat to the outflow of the castle's sewer. They sneak through the sewer to Madro's laboratory, located in the dungeon, where the cursed child is tormenting insect-sized humans trapped in an ant farm. Soth and Azrael attack. Madro, thinking them must be assassins sent by his own father, is delighted by the opportunity to use his deadly magic in actual combat. Soth's magic is certainly powerful, but he's not a match for a dedicated master of the arcane arts. Fortunately for our intrepid anti-hero, he still has his skill with a sword and his trusty sidekick to help him. Duke Gundar appears during the battle and realizes these assassins were sent by Strahd. As I mentioned earlier, Gundar is a vampire, but he's not a well-dressed and well-groomed vampire like Strahd. He is much more bestial in appearance and temperament. While Gundar the Vampire is fighting with Lord Soth, Azrael sneaks up in badger form from behind Madro and attacks, ripping out his throat. Duke Gundar actually isn't too sad to see his creepy, insane son murdered, so he decides to turn into mist and peace on out of there. Soth and Azrael take the boy's body to the location Strahd described, the same spot where Madro once murdered his sister. When Madro's blood touches the stain of her blood upon the floor, a dark portal appears. Never one to second-guess himself, even when he should, Soth steps through. And winds up right back in Barovia. 
In a rage, Soth begins slaughtering villagers left and right. Once he's had his fill, he makes for Castle Ravenloft to punish Strahd for tricking him. Azrael appears from the portal shortly after and pursues his master towards the Count's home. At the bridge leading across the gorge separating Castle Ravenloft from the rest of Barovia, Soth launches a one-man war against Strahd. Strahd sends zombies, human soldiers, and other monsters against him, but he defeats them all. Azrael joins him and the two besiege the castle together. At last, Strahd sends Caradoc out to deliver a message to Soth. The Death Knight, thinking Caradoc was destroyed, is stunned to see the traitorous ghost. On Strahd's behalf, Caradoc demands that Soth surrender. Then he goes too far, mocking Soth, telling Soth that the medallion containing Kidiara's soul was right under his nose at Dargard Keep. Soth rage nearly destroys the magical wards protecting the castle. Unfortunately for poor Caradoc, Strahd decides that the ghost is more of a liability than an asset at this point and sends him away. He also casts a spell to magically communicate with Duke Gundar. He explains to Gundar that Stoth is a danger to both of them, and that it would be best to have him out of the way altogether. Gundar agrees and allows Caradoc to enter his land and to travel unimpeded. Caradoc flees the castle and uses the same magical portal through which Soth recently traveled to escape Barovia into Gundarak. Strahd, knowing Soth will abandon his assault in order to punish his traitorous steward, tells Soth where he has gone. Soth pursues Caradoc back into Castle Hunadora to the farthest edges of Gundarak, with Azrael using his supernatural senses to track the ghost. At last, at the misty border at the end of the Demiplane of Dread, Soth finally catches Caradoc. Caradoc knows he is doomed. He decides to spend his last moments mocking Lord Soth, telling him he will never have Kidiara. Soth re-kills Caradoc, and then the ghost vanishes. As he goes, the mists begin to surround Soth. A mysterious knight in silver armor appears, beckoning Soth into the mists. Beyond the borders of the dark domains of Ravenloft, Soth finds himself back in Dargard Keep, back on Kryn, but in a time which never happened. Soth sees what his life might have been if he had succeeded in redeeming his soul by stopping the cataclysm. His wife is sold as alive. His son Peridar is grown to young manhood. He himself has been spared by the gods of good and lives happily as the great and virtuous knight he always wanted to be. The other Soth, the one dressed in the silver armor, tells our Soth that this can be his new reality if he swears fealty to the gods of good. Lord Soth, his dark heart burning with hate, refuses. He strikes down a soul once again, and, as he attempts to strike down his other self, his son interposes his body between the two versions of Lord Soth. Lord Soth the Death Knight kills his own son, and his damnation is complete. The mists recede, and Soth finds himself in a new domain of dread, Scythicus, the land of specters. Kryn's black moon, Nuitari, hangs in the night sky, but the red and silver moons are absent. Dargard Keep is here, but it's not quite Dargard. It's an imperfect copy that always seems to be changing ever so slightly. Soth's warriors are here, but instead of patrolling the keep as he commands, they wander at random about the castle. Soth's banshees are here, but the song of his damnation they sing as all wrong. The story keeps changing. Events happen out of sequence, some are skipped, 
and fictitious ones are invented. Soth's dark memories are his only refuge, and here he is deprived even of those. No matter how he might try to make it so, this is not Dargard, this is not Kryn, and he is not home. Alrighty, so that was Night of the Black Rose by James Lauder. It was an interesting experience reading this book after so many years. It's always loomed large in my memory as one of my favorite D&D novels, but having read it, I now realize I didn't actually remember much about it at all. I remember Soth breaking Caradoc's neck, I remember him killing the Red Dragon, and I remember Magda and Azrael, but that was about it. I didn't remember the prologue in Palanthus, the confrontation with the Watcher, or the journey to Gundarak at all. What I most enjoyed about the novel are these scenes that let us see Lord Soth in ways we've never seen him. For example, during the attack on Palanthus, we experience that event from his perspective. We think of Tannis Half-Elven as one of the greatest heroes in Ancelon's history. Lord Soth sees him as a pathetic excuse for a hero, someone who essentially failed up and he's not entirely wrong. And we also get to see the Knights of Salamia from Soth's point of view. We think of them as the Guardians of Justice. Lord Soth sees them as self-righteous hypocrites, and he's not entirely wrong there either. During that battle, Soth is disgusted by the sight of a half-elf dressed in the armor of a Knight of Salamia. It's a strange reaction for him to have since his own son was a half-elf. And during Soth's vision of the life he might have lived, he sees his half-elven son dressed in the armor of a knight of Salamia. What does this mean? Does it mean that, in some way, Lord Soth sees himself as a kind of father figure to Tannis half-elven? No, absolutely not. That's stupid. But perhaps Tannis does evoke a stronger response in Soth than he might otherwise have done because of Soth's own complicated relationship with elves. In Night of the Black Rose, we also get to see Soth at a disadvantage. This is something we never ever see in the Weiss and Hickman Dragonlance novels. Soth is virtually untouchable on his homeworld, but he's never faced beings like those that exist in the Demiplane of Dread, and he's never had to contend with the dark powers before either. Takesis loved Lord Soth. He was one of her greatest weapons. The dark powers just loved messing with him. There are a few things I don't like about the novel, however. The story is a bit thin, more swords and sorcery than the epic fantasy of Dragonlance. Soth just kind of goes from place to place and back again without any real reason to think he might succeed. Also, Soth is seemingly drawn into Ravenloft at random. Typically, a person is taken into the Land of the Mists following some hideous act of evil. For Strahd, it was murdering his brother and an entire wedding party. For Jander Sunstar, it was slaughtering the helpless inmates of a lunatic asylum. What did Soth do? Break some douchebag ghost's neck? It was far from the most evil thing he's ever done. I was also confused by the presence of a priest of Gilead in Barovia. Soth disappears from Kryn two years after the ancient gods are rediscovered. Strahd claims that the cleric has been there for decades. That would suggest that the priest came from a time many years before the ancient gods were rediscovered, which doesn't make sense. I suppose you could shrug it off by saying that time flows differently in Barovia, but that's not clearly established. 
Speaking of Jander Sunstar, it was interesting reading this book after having so recently read Vampire of the Mists. Both novels start out with a similar premise. A powerful and ancient undead is transported from another Dungeons and Dragons property to the Demiplane of Dread and meets Strahd von Zarevich and embarks on a quest. But the two protagonists, Jander Sunstar from the Forgotten Realms and Lord Soth from the World of Dragonlance, could not be more different. Just look at how they react during their first encounter with the Vistani camp. Jander becomes pals with the Vistani tribe. Soth murders them. When Jander meets Strahd at Castle Ravenloft, he is all manners and civility. Soth wrecks the place. And of course, their ultimate objectives couldn't be more different. Jander wants to find the spirit of the woman he loves so he can help her find peace. Soth wants to find the spirit of the woman he loves so he can possess her for all eternity. I suppose the ultimate difference between Jander and Soth is that Jander's curse was something that happened to him. Soth's curse, like the curse of Strahd, was something he made happen. He essentially admits as much at the end of the novel. Since I'm comparing and contrasting, I might as well make a few comparisons between Night of the Black Rose by James Lauder and Lord Soth by Edo Van Balcombe. In that episode, I praised the author of Lord Soth for hewing closely to the lore depicted in Night of the Black Rose, which was written several years earlier. I may have been too generous in my praise. There are a number of startling differences. For example, in Lord Soth, his first wife is named Lady Gladria. In Night of the Black Rose, it's Lady Gadria with no L. It's a small difference, or perhaps I should say it's a smart difference. One of the most striking differences is the depiction of Caradoc. In Lord Soth, he's a sociopathic junior knight who does Lord Soth's bidding without question. It's assumed that, upon his death, Caradoc is returned to life as one of Soth's skeletal warriors, with no more personality than any of the others. In Night of the Black Rose, Caradoc is the scheming, whining ghost of a dandy, and he betrayed Soth at every opportunity. Furthermore, in the Dragonlance version of events, Soth murders his first wife and Caradoc covers it up. In the Ravenloft version of events, Caradoc murders her on Soth's behalf. A lot of the details of Soth's life, the death of his first wife, his marriage to Isolde, his trial, the assault on Dargar Keep, are all told differently in the two stories. I don't know if it was intentional, but it kind of works. The novel Lord Soth is introduced as being written by a Krinish historian writing a biography of Lord Soth. In Night of the Black Rose, Soth complains about how historians have always told his story incorrectly. As Soth's quest continues, the dark powers of Ravenloft affect his memory. There's even a scene in which he struggles to remember an incident from his mortal life correctly. And of course, part of his curse as a Dark Lord is to inhabit a world that constantly contradicts his own memory. It's possible that either book is being told to us by an unreliable narrator. The most significant contradiction in the two stories of Lord Soth, however, is whether Soth was ever truly a good man. The classic interpretation of Soth, the version told in the Dragonlance Chronicles trilogy and in Night of the Black Rose, is that Soth was once an honorable and virtuous knight. He fell from grace because of his twin tragic flaws of lust and jealousy. Those flaws caused him to make poor decisions, which led to deliberate crimes, which led to utter damnation. In the version of his life depicted on Lord Soth, however, he seems to have been an evil man from the start, albeit an evil man skilled at appearing honorable and virtuous. I suppose it all depends on how we, the reader, view evil. Can a person have an essence of evil within them that will always reveal itself in the end? Or is evil a result of choices made? 
Can a good person become evil, or does the turn to evil prove they were never truly good to begin with? Perhaps some people have a capacity to commit evil and others don't, but the choice to harm others is what truly matters. There was a line in Night of the Black Rose that jumped out at me. It's spoken by the Banshees when Soth is still on Kryn, waiting impatiently for Caradoc to return from the Abyss with Kitty Arasol. The Banshees tell Soth, You will tire of her as you did your other wives. For me, that line gets straight to the heart of Lord Soth's character. Earlier, I referred to his tragic flaws as lust and jealousy. They might more accurately be described as one flaw, possessiveness. Soth has a pathological need to possess the thing he desires, whether it's honors or titles or glory or position. Of course, there's nothing wrong with wishing to possess these things, but Soth's compulsion doesn't stop at things. He needs to possess people too, more specifically women. But what happens after he has obtained the love of the person he desires? Boredom. Dissatisfaction. In the Lord Soth episode, I compared Soth to Drew Peterson, the Illinois cop who murdered his first wife so he could marry his second wife, and then murdered his second wife so that he could marry his third wife. Why doesn't a man like this simply end a marriage that isn't fulfilling for whatever reason? Possession. A man like Lord Soth can never give up what he possesses. He is a narcissist, and the people he possesses are extensions of himself, not really people at all. He would rather see them gone from the earth than to simply let them go. His ego cannot tolerate that. The only person in Soth's orbit to escape him is Magda, and only because of Soth's indifference towards her. Strahd understands this facet of Soth's nature. That's why he knows Soth will abandon his assault on Castle Ravenloft to pursue and punish Caradoc. The Dark Powers understand Soth's nature, too. That's why they grant Soth a domain where home is constantly changing and where his minions will not obey his commands. If Night of the Black Rose has a theme, it's memory. Soth's memories, Azrael's memories, the memories of the Vistani people. The power of memory, the betrayal of memory, the unreliability of memory. Ultimately, the possessions Soth covets most are his memories his true memories, what truly happened, who he truly is. And in the world of Ravenloft, the most precious of his possessions will remain forever beyond his grasp. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash dndbookclub. That's D-A-N-D-D book club and become a subscriber. You can help keep this show going for only $5 a month. You can also email me at dndbookclub at gmail.com or follow me on Instagram at dndbookclub. Thanks for listening, and until next time, remember, if you love something, you have to set it free.